Hello and welcome to the After Dinner Podcast. My name is Jay Swords and this is the podcast extension for ROI show number 491. Our guest today is Dr. Cameron Blevins, Associate Professor of History at the University of Colorado, Denver. And we're going to be talking about his book, Paper Trails, The U.S. Post and the Making of the American West. Our history buffs are Terry Toppler and Ed Broders. Ed, start us off this time. Thanks, Jay. Uh, Cameron, uh, for some time now, uh, the Postal Service has been under kind of political assault um, in, in this country, and uh, it's a very antagonistic approach on, on the part of one, party, one political party, which I don't need to name because we all know who they are. Um, but what's the history of the Postal Service in general, uh, of the Postmaster General? Is it one of generally moving forward and improvement? Um, or has it had, uh, occasionally had, postmaster generals who are really antagonistic and um, are concerned about a lot of other things other than just getting it done right? Yeah, uh, so there is a wide spectrum, as you might imagine, of uh, different approaches to that position. Um, in the 1800s and really through the early 1900s, what's important to understand is that the U.S. Post was the major engine for federal patronage. And so it was a department um, under the executive branch, which means that whichever political party, that Democrats or Republicans, wins the presidency, also wins control over the post office department, and by extension has control over tens of thousands of government positions, mostly postmaster positions, but also things like clerks, mail carriers, etc. And so the post office department became this real kind of battleground for uh, trying to use that as a source of patronage to reward your own party, which meant that the person in charge of that department, the postmaster general, was oftentimes selected not for their administrative skills necessarily, but for their political connections and power uh, as a way to kind of oversee um, the distribution of these patronage positions to, uh, again, party loyalists. And so, uh, although, you know, today we oftentimes see this kind of partisan divide between how big or active government should be, and that can play out in the postal system as well, uh, calls to either restrict the postal system or nationalize it, privatize it, uh, et cetera, these kind of competing visions. Uh, a lot of times in the 1800s, you didn't see this partisan divide so much. It was just both parties wanted to get control of the postal system because it was this big source of patronage. Okay, Terry. Yes, Cameron, I'd like to talk about stamps. When did we see the first existence of stamps on letters? And before stamps, how did people pay for those letters? Uh, yes, the, uh, the stamp question. Um, I, one of the real pleasures I've had is writing a book about postal history. I hadn't quite expected the amount of uh, enthusiasm from uh, philatelist stamp collecting collectors. Uh, it's a really uh, great community of people, and they've been very, uh, very kind and generous oftentimes. Um, so I have to admit, I'm not an, an expert on uh, stamps at all. Um, but the kind of mechanics, and it kind of vary depending on where you were and when, and there's all sorts of other kind of complications. But to kind of oversimplify, uh, during the 1800s, oftentimes you would uh, what was called cancel 
um, a stamp. So you could put a stamp onto uh, the front of an envelope, but then it would get kind of stamped over or canceled uh, to, to signify when it was originating from. Um, there was also another system in the early 1800s of pay upon receipt, which mm-hmm. means that uh, you could send a letter, but then the recipient would have to go to the post office department and pay uh, the costs of it. Um, they eventually ended up getting rid of that so that you really did have to pay from, kind of from the origin point uh, of where you were mailing it from. Um, but yeah, no, it's, uh, the, the, stamp, the stamp angle is a really fascinating one as well. Um, and I should say that a lot of my work is, uh, was made possible by the work of a stamp collector and postal historian named Richard Helbach, who basically spent decades of his life collecting information about almost every post office that exists in the United States and made a big uh, database that he was using or selling to other stamp collectors, but I ended up using to do all sorts of um, uh, geospatial kind of historical analysis with it. Cameron, so I had a um, a son-in-law who for three or four years was a postal, uh, was a mail carrier, and he talked about how much more dangerous his job was than he had expected it to be. You know, there were dogs. Sometimes you walked in, you know, you're walked up on the middle of domestic disputes. Um, sometimes there were people looking to steal things out of your truck if you went into the bathroom. He just didn't expect it to have quite the danger level. It seems to me that postal carriers um, in the 1800s may have faced much more obvious dangers. Can you talk a little bit about what it was like to be a postal carrier and, and what kinds of, of issues you might run into? That's such a good question. I'm not sure I've ever actually uh, gotten that one uh, before. So uh, it kind of depends on where you were. Um, and for most of the 1800s, uh, if you were a mail carrier, actually, you know, think of carrying along the kind of bag of mail, satchel of mail, and distributing it to uh, residences. Again, you would be in a city. And so the big dangers you would have would be these more kind of urban landscape stuff, right? Uh, you'd have to dodge uh, horses, uh, carriages kind of clattering down, uh, clattering down the road. If you were in the urban, or excuse me, the rural part of the country, there weren't these dedicated mail carriers. Instead, again, you would have a private stagecoach company, um, you know, carrying a bag of mail in the back of their stagecoach. And that would be much more subject to things like, again, accidents, uh, fires, inclement weather, trying to cross bridges that might have been washed out, um, all these other kind of environmental factors uh, in the in the West and in rural parts of the country that we probably don't think a ton about today. And I will say that probably the biggest thing was less a danger and more uh, endless complaints about the quality, the poor quality of roads in rural mm-hmm. parts of the country. Um, I think it's hard for us to understand and overstate today uh, just how bad or even non-existent many roads were at the time. Uh, almost all of them in rural parts of the country were dirt roads, uh, trails that could be totally impassable in you know the spring, for instance, if it's uh, completely uh, you know. Uh, a foot of mud covering them. Um, so I think it's probably less about the dangers per se and more just the challenges of just kind of basic transportation. Hey, Ed. Yeah, um, Cameron, I spent most of my most of my life in a rural area and growing up and for much of my adult life, um, just about every mail carrier I knew was a veteran. 
Um, has that been a policy of the Postal Service for a long, long time? Or was I just kind of getting a bad sample? No, no, you are, you are definitely not getting a bad sample uh, at all. Uh, there's a couple different phases of this. Uh, more recently, I believe, if I'm not wrong, um, the federal government does have uh, official policies in place for veterans. So if you apply for a government position, you can kind of check a box that says uh, you're a veteran. Um, and then uh, the second piece of this would be, you know, further back in kind of the area that I look at in the 1800s, because it was uh, such a big patronage position, um, what you ended up seeing was in the wake of the Civil War, um, you know, millions of Union Army veterans in particular were given these uh, government positions uh, by the Republican Party, which is the Republican of the North and by extension, uh, the Union. And so uh, especially in the decade or two after the Civil War, you saw a ton of different postmasters uh, mail carriers, et cetera, who received these government jobs as patronage positions through their union service and by extension, again, the Republican Party. Okay, Terry. Yeah, I'd like to piggyback on that question. So what were the challenges for mail service during the midst of the Civil War? <laughs> yeah, there were, there were giant ones, uh, for sure. And so I think it's important to remember, too, that uh, with the secession of Confederate states, the southern states, mm -hmm. uh, the Confederacy also had to figure out how to run their own mail system. Um, it wasn't just that they seceded and had to run an, an army and fight a war, but they also had to rebuild civilian infrastructure in some ways. And so you see the Confederacy really struggling to, uh, to operate this mail system. On the northern side of the Civil War, um, you already had this established mail system, so in that sense, it was uh, it was much easier. Uh, but you ran into new challenges where, in particular, you had, again, all of these soldiers being dispatched to uh, different parts of, uh, of the front and then trying to communicate back home. And, again, if you're a soldier, let's say, you know, we can all probably think of these kind of famous examples. Think of the Ken Burns documentary uh, where there are these letters being exchanged between sons, husbands, et cetera, uh, back to their families. And all that mail had to get transported in some way. And so you saw the U.S. government having to kind of scramble to provide those connections. And in particular, but it actually leads to uh, some innovations. So one of which is uh, soldiers started complaining during the Civil War that they were trying to send uh, some of their wages, for instance, home to their mother, their wife, et cetera. And they would get stolen in transit, right? If you think about, you know, currency or something like that. Um, and so the postal system uh, started to experiment with uh, postal money orders, which is a system of instead of sending physical currency through the mail, you would pay that currency to your local post office who would then send a form through the mail. The recipient would go to their post office and then redeem that certificate for actual money. Um, and this was the origins of what became a very widespread service offered by the postal system uh, that would kind of flourish in the coming years and really stem directly from this wartime experience. Right, Cameron, I get the honor of the last question. We have about two minutes left. Um, so my question is, you, your talk about the Civil War made me think about the fact that, that 
there is at least the potential for conflict between the federal government and state governments. And I, you know, obviously the South after the Civil War, that potential is there as time goes by. Um, but I'm also thinking in terms of territories and, and then places that become statehoods. And you might have, you know, the, the governor or the local politicians who aren't at all happy with the way things are happening in their particular state or territory, whatever. Can you talk a little bit about that? Was that something that played out and, and what did it look like? It definitely played out. Um, I think it's important to remember the the federal government really was wholly in charge of operating the mail system, just fundamentally, right? If you're trying to send a letter between Alabama uh, and Virginia, for instance, it's got to traverse multiple states, right? So this has to be a federal entity. Um, but that doesn't mean that state-level politicians or government officials weren't actively lobbying or complaining or uh, trying to uh, affect mail service in their states at the federal level. And so what's really interesting to me is that if you go into the, you know, letters or diaries or surviving papers of pretty much any politician from this era, you will see them uh, very likely talk about walking down to the post office department in Washington, D.C. to deal with some kind of, you know, dispute or conflict or complaint from a group of constituents in their uh, their home district or state. Um, and so this kind of federal versus state level uh, administration was a really interesting one linked to this element of political patronage as well, where because there were so many of these government positions, but they were being administered and given out at these much more local levels without this kind of centralized oversight, you had to have a kind of back and forth between the local and state level on the one hand, and then federal administration on the other. All right. We would like to thank our guest for this 491st show, Dr. Cameron Blevins, Associate Professor of History at the University of Colorado, Denver. We've been talking about his book, Paper Trails, The U.S. Post and the Making of the American West. The history bus for today's show were Terry Toppler and Ed Broders. ROI can be found at 9.30 p.m. Friday nights on KLA Radio or on the web at TuneIn.com. If you're looking for older programs, you'll find them at SoundCloud.com. Just put K-A-L-A Radio, all one word, in the search, click on the first icon, and scroll down to find nearly a decade of ROI shows. And you can also find ROI on all of your favorite streaming platforms. ROI is recorded at station K-A-L-A, St. Ambrose University.